Welcome to No Challenges Remaining on day five of the 2020 US Open. I'm Ben Rothenberg. Big story today was the intrigue surrounding something we focused on in our day one show, which is Adrian Manorino's status in the tournament, which initially had been approved under strict conditions by local government after he was in contact with Benoit Pair, who later tested positive. Only today, on day five of the tournament, after Manorino had already won two rounds, for the New York State authorities to come in and try to prevent Manorino from continuing on in the tournament competing it was several hours of confusion and politicking at a local and state level and all sorts of local New York politics rivalries at play. Novak Djokovic said he even tried to call New York Governor Andrew Cuomo himself. About what happens with Adrian Manorino today? How do you personally feel about the, the change in protocols that has been happening and whether you feel there was inconsistency or not? And do you feel that the communication regarding these changing protocols as being properly or not? Very good questions, uh, Reem. Uh, yes, I was aware of what was happening with uh, Adrian Manorino. I was actually contacted by his coach during that process, and I was communicating with his coach for, for a few hours, actually, and trying to help. I was uh, speaking with ATP, trying to get more information from the tour managers. Uh, I was also trying to, to get to the people that are in the highest positions in, in the New York State, you know, through, through some of the contacts trying to get to the governor of, of New York. And because the, I understood that he was the only one that could actually make the decision to revert the decision that, uh, that Manarino was, was uh, you know, withdrawn from the tournament. Uh, in the end, to be honest, I don't know what exactly happened. They just told me that uh, finally Adrian was, uh, was uh, you know, allowed to play and he was on the court, which, I'm, which I was very pleased to see. Eventually, the state relented and consented and Manarino was able to play his third round match against Sasha Zverev about two and a half hours later than originally scheduled. He lost. We're hoping to have more on this French fracas tomorrow. They've had a busy tournament as the people. Before today, I want to bring you a chat I did with one of the most impressive players of this summer, South Carolina's Shelby Rogers, who reached the fourth round of the U.S. Open for the first time, beating Madison Brengel 6-2-6-4 on Friday, albeit not without some confusion about what was going on with the Manorino-Zverev match that was originally scheduled on the same court she was scheduled for. You were on the court today that was going to be the Zverev-Manorino match that was supposed to be, I think, third on that court. You were fifth on that court in the original order of play. What was that like seeing that match not going on? What Do you have any idea what's going on today as that was happening? And, and how much does that affect your day? Yeah, I mean, it was super strange. You know, I'm honestly not surprised by anything anymore. <laughs> I'm ready to go with the flow with whatever comes at us. But I saw that what was going on. It had been maybe over an hour that the match had been finished. And I mean, there could be a million things of why that match isn't going on, you know, and then I'm seeing pictures of Zverev just hanging out, like not getting ready. So I'm like, okay, well, it's clearly postponed. So, uh, but I, it wasn't too bad because I had a not before seven. So I knew I'm going to go on at seven or a little bit after, like, I'll just prepare to play at seven. So it wasn't like I had to be there to be right after, you know, so that would have been a little more stressful, but I just, you know, got to the site, went to the supervisor. They're like, okay, you're going to be on court seven. Or, sorry, court 17 when it's done right at seven, which is perfect because I didn't want to wait around for the guys, you know, that could be all night. Oh, yeah. But definitely, definitely weird, weird. Does it take extra mental focus? Are you proud of yourself for how you're holding up in this super distracting time when people, you know, we don't know what rules are going to maybe change or shift in terms of protocols or anything? And 
yeah I'm getting I tested mean, all the absolutely. time yeah. I kind of pride myself in my planning and my preparation and I've had to kind of let some of those tendencies go and just go with the flow and be more adaptive you know and just just ready for whatever comes at me so I guess in a way it's helped me it's helped me grow as a person and uh you know kind of even out those uh controlling and and planning <laughs> tendencies and characteristics yeah it's you know it's helped me to kind of mellow out maybe a little bit so that's not the worst thing definitely <laughs> after knee surgery in 2018 it left her career pretty uncertain shelby has had a tremendous 2020 winning the midland challenger in michigan right before the pandemic hit and stopped the tour and then coming out of the pandemic with a run to the semifinals of wta lexington which included a win over none other than serena williams at the u.s open shelby next faces patrick vitova whom she actually beat at the 2016 french open en route to the quarterfinals there shelby speaks about herself on court and off court here and i think you'll enjoy her perspective and her attitude here's shelby and apologies, like in the Pronkova interview, the audio isn't amazing quality, and Shelby had to wear a mask the whole time, but it still sounds pretty good. We hope you'll enjoy it. Shelby, congratulations. Thank you. You've had an incredible year, obviously interrupted by a lot, but it feels like you were really able to keep some continuity even in this in this stoppage. You had you won the Midland Challenger, again, on fast courts in Michigan, and then relatively picking up where you left off. I mean, how were, what was the, the key to doing that? In, in your time at home? I guess you're at home the whole time? Yes. Yeah, I was. I think, you know, I'd like to say that I learned a lot being off tour during my injury, you know, how to manage time away from the game and being able to have that time again to utilize in the best way you can. So, you know, you're away from the game. Yes, some you can take some time off and, you know, let your body heal, that sort of thing. But for me, it was keeping the motivation to really – continue that momentum that I started the year with. So I, for one, motivation to stay in shape, you know, and stay sharp on the court. But two, I know what it's like to be out of shape. I've already done that after knee surgery, and that is not fun. So it's much, much easier to try to fight and stay in shape than get back in shape, if that makes sense. So I think that was the main thing, you know, just try to keep that hunger and, and motivation during quarantine, which was not easy, but happy that I did. You were saying on court that you had been able to work on your mental game yeah. during the stoppage. How do you work on the mental game without matches? I'm curious about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how you control your thoughts, how you handle different situations, how you, your whole perspective on life. I mean, you know, I made my faith a lot stronger. I was able to just be with myself a lot more and understand why I think certain things or, you know, what triggers me. And just, like I said, when you have time away from the game and you're not playing matches, you have the opportunity to work on intangibles and things that, you know, might be overlooked, if you will, if you're just on court four hours a day practicing and working on tennis things, you know, so you try to take advantage of that time. And uh, I'm glad I did. You mentioned your faith on court, actually, I was going to ask about that next. I mean, what this time alone, I guess, did it give you time to be more spiritual than you have been in the past or how, how did that play a role in this? Um, in this I mean, it's always time? been a big part of my life and uh, I was very fortunate to be able to do a Bible study once a week with actually some other tennis players. Uh, Mary Pierce was involved, which was really cool. And hmm. I won't mention the other names that I don't know if they'll want me to, but it was, it was a lot of fun just, you know, having that connection with some girls and being able to get together every week and have a little social life too during the quarantine. But I think just having a bigger, perspective on life seeing the bigger picture and you know there's more than tennis so yes I love what I do and I'm very happy to win and be in shape and feeling good but it just gives me me freedom to go out there and enjoy it a little more 
was keeping that enjoyment or that motivation something that was tough for you after the knee surgery you had two years ago? Right after the knee surgery, it was tough because I didn't know if I'd be able to play again. And once I got past the point of, okay, I know I can be able to get back on court. It was actually not that difficult. It was even stronger. I had more motivation. I had more hunger to come back to challenge myself to see if I could be better than I was before. And I think that still stands true moving forward. The first event you would have played, I guess, during this stoppage was in your hometown of Charleston or where you live on. You live on Daniel Island. Is that right? You Used to. I don't anymore. Okay. I actually live in Florida now. But yeah, my, okay. my hometown, my whole family's still there. And it was really sad to see that tournament not happen this year. You know, I was really yeah. excited. I had, like you said, a lot of momentum going there. And it's one of the player favorites, not just mine because I'm from there, but they do just an incredible job and the people are amazing. So that was definitely a big bummer. When you got your first taste at that at that exhibition event of playing without a crowd, playing in these new sort of, you know, mask wearing everywhere kind of protocols, what was that like? What was that like sort of coming back to this, was at least temporarily a new normal in tennis? Yeah, so before Charleston, I was actually playing some like live stream matches in mm-hmm. Florida against, you know, a few other girls that lived down there. And, uh, you know, using your own set of tennis balls when you serve and then switching them out, they're all marked. So I kind of had a little taste even before Charleston, but... I mean, they did an amazing job in Charleston making us feel safe, but it's just a lot more to think about. So your your stress level is just naturally that much higher. You're worried about so many new things and so many more things every day. So um, it was nice to get a taste of that and and see that it can be done well and just be able to have confidence in it. So then, you know, my decision to play these tournaments was a little more sure. And, you know, I was I was confident that they could get it done. So then you go to Lexington, I guess, when the tour comes back and you maybe feel a little more comfortable there than people who had been fully, you know, cold, coming in cold to that to the tour. Yeah, definitely. I also did another exhibition at that same club after Charleston. Okay. So I was familiar with the area and the city and the people there, the staff. So that was a lot of fun being able to go back there and once again, just be familiar with the protocols, too. And then you get there and you play Serena. And you yeah. win and the quarters. And I know I'm sure you get this five times as much as me. But anytime I mention that I do anything with tennis, people are always like, oh, have you met Serena? Have you, you know, talked to Serena? Have you, you know, whatever Serena? I'm guessing you get this too. So how much of a bucket list thing is it as a tennis player to just get to play Serena first and then yeah, actually I mean, say I... that you beat her too? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I guess I never really thought about it, you know, before. But everybody asks, oh, have you played Serena? So now I can say yes, which is cool. Um, but I just think going into that tournament, you know, first one after quarantine, like the draw stacked, I ended up, you know, just getting into main draw with a wild card. So I've never seen a cut that high, I think, of a tournament that level. So uh, it was quite a first week back, to put it mildly. Um, but I was just really happy that I could meet those challenges and, and prove to myself I could overcome them too. And now you're coming into the U.S. Open, continuing the strong play, winning really tough match against Rabakina in the second round. It was the 11th seed, I believe. Yes. And then backing that up. And Rabakina's had an amazing year. You know, started the year incredibly well, made a bunch of finals, I think a title or two. That was another big win to show that you were sort of stacking up these wins too and that Lexington, not that I'm, anyone thought it was a fluke per se, but that you're sort of really, you're onto something here. How, how good has this felt this week to keep, going and to keep improving and to keep yeah I mean definitely because you know you come from Lexington where I you know beat Serena had a tough match the next round and it's you know everybody always says it's so tough to follow up a big win and then I come play qualies of uh 
quote, Cincinnati here in New York and play the same girl I played the week before, you know, yeah. and then it's like, oh, she lost in qualies now. Well, I played, you know, the same girl is <laughs> in the finals last week. It's like, <laughs> it was quite a first two weeks back, but it, absolutely. It's nice to back up some wins, get a lot of matches to start out, you know, back after quarantine. <laughs> Again, I've just played so many lefties. I can't get over, but anyway, uh, yeah, it's, it's nice to, to back up the wins and, you know, get some momentum and feel comfortable on these courts and get time out there because it would be, and I've thought about this a lot. Like imagine if you came here and just like, boom, boom, two losses, you know, that's really, really tough. So I'm happy I could keep myself out there <laughs> to fight another day. I wonder that too, with this bubble and what the hassle for lack of a better word, everything is right now. Like that I felt especially bad for players who were going to lose first round. They have to go through all right. of this stuff, all the testing, everything. And then it's still a not single elimination tournament, like any other tournament, you know, half the players are losing first round. I mean, is that, what is, what is this sort of general tension level? You're talking about this sort of sh ambient stress, I guess, of this moment everywhere in the world. <laughs> how does that, how does that show up in a, in a tennis context at a grand slam, which is always yeah. you know, a fairly high pressure kind of place? Oh, definitely. And I mean, I think one thing that helps alleviate some of that stress is that there is a decent amount of prize money on the line. So, yeah. you know, you're playing for something. It's not like we're here, you know, playing for, <laughs> for nothing. Right. So we're all, you know, have that motivation and we're willing to go, through and it's really not that difficult we wear a mask we follow some rules like fine I know some players are really struggling with it but for me if this is what I have to do to play so be it you know I'm just really happy to be back out there and honestly I've stayed in my room most of the time anyway like it's not that different for me I'm I guess I don't want to call myself a hermit but like I don't know I've just been kind of staying away from people doing my own thing I've had a lot of long days on site you know so I haven't really had an excuse to be like man I have so much downtime I'm doing classes you know I've been keeping myself busy so Again, I think, you know, the baseline stress level is higher just because you're trying to stay clean, you're washing your hands, you have to remember to wear your mask and people are, you know, watching you, you feel like every step, but they're there for a reason. They're trying to keep us safe and trying to keep us out there doing what we love. So you have to appreciate that effort too. Madison Brengel was saying in her on court, I think last match that she thought the bubble in some ways was an introvert stream for her. And she's somebody who is like a kind of natural, yeah. you know, not the, not the most outgoing you know documenting everything i mean she's obviously friendly and everything but yeah she's, yeah she's, like we a long time the other day yeah. actually like you know if you like to read books and kind of stay in your room and just reset and be to yourself it's it's perfect it's really not that bad you have an excuse now to stay and get room service and not go anywhere so i mean you know it is what you make it if you know coming here we kind of knew what to expect maybe a little more strict than we thought but you know it's all about the mindset you, you can be happy and and choose to be happy and embrace it I want to, one more thing about Maz, Madison because you yeah. two play each other obviously, and she was before her first round match. She was doing a bunch of like Insta stories and stuff with her first round opponent Arena Rodinova, yeah. who she's I know she's very good friends with. You two, you were talking on court about talking with her before the match, and Madison yeah. has this sort of like chill about her that I'm wondering how much she's like different. It makes the vibe pre match and maybe even mid match or post match having someone who's just like who's not because you know there's a lot of players who can be very game face, very, yeah. you know, kind of like snarly almost in terms of their attitude. What is it like? Is it disarming playing someone who's the opposite of that? Is it nice? Is it something you need to adjust to? Is it, or is it just fun? I mean, at this point, we've both been on tour 10 plus years, you know, so we kind of understand, all right, look, we're friends, we go on court, we do our job off court, we'll, you know, text each other later, it's fine. Anything else just 
just as unnecessary, you know, and we know going day to day, if you just add that to yourself, it's not going to be fun. So for us, yeah, we were talking, walking with the escort to court and then we're waiting there for five minutes. Like, what do we, you know what I mean? Kind of joking around and I mean, just keeping it light before the match, but you know, we're humans, we can interact. We don't have to be this robotic, like tough all the time. So like I said, we're, we're pretty used to at this point. So it was fine. And I thought we both played really well tonight, which and we both have had good you know, great weeks. So it's, it's good to see. She's somebody who in some ways maybe makes you feel like you have the match on your racket. Cause she's not really taking huge cuts at the ball a lot, but also that can be very dangerous because she's giving you a lot of chances to miss and mix, mixing up things constantly. I think the winners were like 26 to seven for you, which is kind of what you expect in this sort of matchup, but how, how tough is it to stay present and patient, a certain kind of mindfulness I'm guessing than in a match where you're just sort of trading, you know, power with somebody. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know that you're going to get looks to control the point, and that was part of the game plan going in to stay aggressive and keep moving forward. But at the same time, if you leave her a ball sitting there, she can rip her backhand just as hard as anybody. So, and it stays very low. She has a lot, <laughs> quite flat, quite a flat ball. Um, so it's definitely, you know, a mind game out there, and you try to take it one point at a time and know that she could just raise her level at any moment, like she did at the end of the second, and know, you know, you can get some looks at her serve, and you're going to get short balls and chances to move forward, but she's crafty, and she makes you work for it, so not easy. <laughs> it feels like this fast courts that we have in New York really rewards craftiness a lot. Like, you, yes, being, being yeah. assertive is rewarded. Like, if you can dig yeah. out one more ball, and then, yeah, it, it definitely rewards effort put into the points. How does that suit you? I mean, are you some, are you obviously, you made a French Open quarterfinal. You fine on clay court. That was a really slow year at the French Open too. That was the rain year, the, year yes. the, the quarters. Yes. Um, it was like but, raining during the matches. Right. That was horrible. It was one of the most depressing tournaments I've been. I'm sure it was good for you results wise, but <laughs> mood wise, that tournament was, uh, was rough. But yeah, on this fast courts, you won Midland. You obviously have played well on fast courts before. You were talking just, if you can sort of rehash what you were saying in your presser a little bit earlier, just about the variety the fast courts brings and how it's, it's nice to not have every, every every court feel the same. Yeah, I think, you know, over the years, every service has kind of slowed down and I've seen it. Every player has kind of seen it. So to come here the first day, all the players, man, these courts are so fast compared to last year. You know, it's taken me a couple, you know, practices to get used to it. And I think if you have more tournaments on a faster surface, you're just going to see a variety of games come out and shine. Big servers, serving volleyers can, you know, have a little more success and just spice up the draws a little bit, you know, more free points on the on the serves and, you know, big ground strokes are going to be rewarded, but also, you know, players that can hustle and kind of like make it tricky. So I just think it would be be cool to have a little more variety and see some some faster tournaments, some lightning indoor courts or whatever it is, you know, even the grass has slowed down. So, yeah. I don't know, it's just a nice surprise to come here to New York this year and be like oh this is this is something different for sure like in the 90s there were so many fast courts and especially i feel like in women's tennis which never got like to be totally serve dominated you know the way that like it could be in men i think there's like almost no downsides to it in terms yeah of, like, definitely i mean the other night i was watching uh cressy and uh stefano's play and mm-hmm. their their average rally was two balls you know yeah. and i mean they're just serving lights out and if you you punch a return in and then you know make it tricky for the volleyer it was it was kind of a fun match to watch something different, you know, not these grinding like baseline rallies, which I appreciate, of course, you know, these athletes are amazing, but just, uh, yeah, mix it up a little bit. Two more things. You mentioned on court, you were doing a lot of workouts in your house. 
during the stoppage. <laughs> yeah. What what did those look like? Were you able were you using like household items or did you have <laughs> proper gym equipment or was it a mix or how do you how do you yeah. stay in tour shape? Because your because your conditioning, I mean, I've heard several people say and you've said it yourself is as good as we've ever seen it from you and it's really Thank showing you. the results and everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I made some you know funny workouts just to keep it fun. There's a video on my Instagram of me like bench pressing with like milk cartons and you know mm. just like keeping it light. But I mean, for the most part, I just, you know, I have stairs and, you know, bands and everybody has these household items, you know, the little gym equipment, you just get get creative with the circuits and keep your heart rate up and try to try to do the best you can. <laughs> and then last thing is this has this surge you've had in 2020, obviously fragmented, has it changed your perception of what you think you can do in the sport, like in terms of like, big picture goals for yourself? Are you now Obviously, you've done, you know, this is not even your best slam yet. You made a quarter before, but in terms of just feeling like this is a really, this is constant progression of things here that's coming, does it, does it at all change your, your attitude towards yourself or your self-belief in a, in a way that you can feel manifesting? I mean, I think in my mind, you know, I've always known what I'm capable of doing. I can beat any player any given day, but it's, you know, being able to do it consistently all year, which is what the top players do really well. So I know I have the game and it's nice, like you said, to be able to, string some matches together and get those streaks of matches where you're not just, you know, one good win here, one good win there, but to try to do it week after week is, is the goal now. So I don't think my mindset or my belief in myself has changed. You know, I still play the same way. I have the same strokes, but just like you said, that bigger picture, kind of the, the approach to everything and the confidence going in is maybe a little higher, but um, I'm just enjoying it. Like this is also one of the happiest times, you know, I've had on the court and, you know, trying to appreciate every moment. And it, as cliche as it is, once you're away with an injury, you just kind of, you know, appreciate being back a little bit more. So I'm just yeah. trying to be happy and play this game that I love. I'm guessing that, and that gratitude I'm guessing is kind of double after a pandemic too, or during a pandemic. I mean, yeah, like... that was crazy. I mean, who would have thought that happened, you know? So I think going through three months, it was about three months there where we didn't know when we were going to play. You just kind of wake up like, oh, what's going to happen today? Are we, you know, going to get a schedule or not? And so at least, you know, we have a plan now and we know that we're back playing. And, and I think a lot of players do have a greater appreciation. Well, we're appreciating watching you. Good luck in the next round, Shelby. Thank, thank, you, thank you very much. Thank you. So thank you to Shelby for taking the time. Thank you to WTA Comms for setting it up. And thank you all for listening to NCR. We hope you're enjoying these daily shows we're doing. They've been fun. if a good amount of work to make every day. And we hope they're going to provide a pretty interesting sort of time capsule on this unique tournament in the end. If you're enjoying the show and you want to support us on Patreon, we would really appreciate that. Patreon.com slash no challenges remaining where you can find us there. We have a bunch of new backers to thank since our last episode. And those include Emily Worker, Antonio Maycumber, Ben Hatton, Anand Ramaswamy, and Danielle Hartzell. So thank you to all those backers. And thank you to our Patreon Slam Champ backers who we thank on every episode. Liz Kinnell, Jonathan Weinbaum, Mary Carrillo, Chuang Nguyen, Betty, Audrey Wellens, Sean Milroy, Joseph Har, Susanna W., and Antonio Maycumber, who's a new Slam Champ backer as of this episode. Thank you very much to him. And thank you to our GOAT backers as well, Mike, J-O-D, and Charles Cena. That'll do it for Friday at the Open. See you guys later. Bye.